Well, you know, we've been singing this morning about the end of death and the beginning of life. And for the Christian, that happened on Easter Sunday. And I've said to you often before that Christmas without Easter is just an interesting story to tell the world. Easter changed everything because it transformed the world. For the last month, we've been tracing the red thread of the blood of Jesus through the entire Old Testament. And we've seen how God had a plan to save mankind from their sins from day one. It always involved Jesus. It always included his death and suffering on the cross. The Bible said he died in our place and that he took on our sin and bore the cost. The wrath of God that should have been ours, he took. We deserve to pay the penalty for our sins, but he died in our place. I can't truly imagine how devastating it must have been for those first disciples on the day after the cross. We know that the creation felt the pain because the sky turned black in the middle of the day. There were earthquakes. We know the the disciples had left the cross despondent, feeling like there was no hope. They had scattered when they heard Jesus was arrested and crucified. We know that several of the women who had followed his ministry were near the tomb on the morning of Easter, mourning his death, ready to anoint his body But the world changed when the stone was rolled away. As the scripture says, now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Just as he said, come see the place where he was lying. The fatal blow had been dealt to our enemy death that morning. It no longer held power over us. Because Jesus had risen just as he said he would. And the resurrection is so important that a person cannot be saved who does not believe in the resurrection. The scripture says in Romans 10 that we must confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead. And that in doing so we will be saved. We believe that his resurrection gives life to us. But we also believe that his resurrection means that we will rise again. Because just like Jesus said... Even though we may die, yet we will live if we believe in his name. The Bible ties the resurrection on Easter to almost everything else in our lives spiritually. They go hand in hand. And as believers going forward, this includes our own resurrection from the dead. Now, many people believe that we are destined to live out our time on earth and that when we die, nothing happens. There's nothing waiting on the other side. Some believe that there might be an afterlife, but if by chance you chose the wrong path, maybe you'll have another chance to choose something, or maybe your soul will just be annihilated. It just ceases to exist. But physical death is not the only death we are meant to fear. There's a spiritual death waiting on the other side of physical death that includes separation from God that follows death for those who die without Christ as their Savior. But for those in Christ, we have been promised that we will rise on the last day. But what if Christ had not risen from the dead? What would that mean for us? 
The Apostle Paul met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. You may have heard people say that they had a Damascus road experience. Or you may have heard it in an old bluegrass song, I Saw the Light. That's what it's talking about. It it goes back to the day that the Apostle Paul met the Lord Jesus Christ, where he met the risen Savior. He was forever changed that day when he met the resurrected Christ. And he never got over it. His entire life changed. He'd gone from being a persecutor of the church to a promoter of the new life in Christ Jesus. And in a letter that he wrote to a church in a city called Corinth, he wrote about the absolute necessity of the resurrection for believers. I want you to see four problems this morning for us from this passage of Scripture in the book of Corinthians if there is no resurrection from the dead. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. We're going to see why a belief in the resurrection from the dead is critical to our faith. It's absolutely foundational doctrine for us. It's foundational to all we believe. If there is no resurrection from the dead, we are wasting our time. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, I want you to follow along on the screen. And if you'd like a copy of God's Word, you can stop by the Next Step Center after our service, and we'd be happy to give you one of those as a gift this morning from our church family to you today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 12 is where we will begin reading. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised." For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. The previous 11 verses of chapter 15 outline the gospel of Jesus Christ. And several times they have this qualifier in that passage. It says, According to the scriptures, Paul writes and he spells out what the gospel is, that Jesus Christ came and that he was born and that he died according to the scriptures and that he was raised according to the scriptures. And it it goes on and says that. And Paul was clearly making the case to this church in Corinth that there was a literal resurrection and that their their resurrection was tied to it. Their own resurrection was tied to it. And as he says this idea of being according to the scriptures, as he's writing this letter, he doesn't have the New Testament. He's writing it from an Old Testament perspective. He's saying to them, if you understand this, there's a red thread that has been traced all the way through the Bible, and it centers upon the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That red thread of his blood binds this whole story together. The resurrection of the Savior and our resurrected bodies are also bound together. In verses 12 and 13, he basically says... If Christ is resurrected, then we will be too. But understand that if Christ is not resurrected, we won't be. And if we don't believe in a resurrection of our bodies, then Christ must not have been resurrected from the dead. For emphasis, he actually repeats this argument again in verse 16 as he's trying to hammer home this principle of the resurrection. So I want you to see four problems outlined by Paul for us as believers if there is no resurrection from the dead. First, he says that if there is no resurrection from the dead, then our preaching and our faith 
is in vain. And what he means is the very substance of our preaching. Not the act of what I'm doing this morning, but the substance of what we're doing. The substance of our faith. He's saying the essence of our faith is empty. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then we're wasting our time because Jesus has been proven to be just like every other religious teacher that ever lived on the earth. What separates Jesus from everyone else is how he conquered death, not what he taught. He did teach things that were different, but a lot of people have taught things that were different, but no one has died and risen again. And if Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, then I've wasted my entire uh, professional and personal life following a Savior who I have believed in to be this man who transforms the world. And Paul says if he didn't rise from the dead, it's utterly meaningless. The word he uses is vain. You may be familiar with this word if you've read the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Uh, Solomon talks about it like this. He says there are a lot of things you can pursue in your life, but if you pursue them and you don't pursue God, all of those things are worthless. There's emptiness there. And he calls it chasing the wind. You just can't do it. There's no value to it is what he says. And that's what Paul says here. The preaching that we do, the faith that we have, it's utterly of no value. It would be like you handing your children a box of jewelry one day and telling them that this was a family heirloom that had been passed down to you and they needed to safeguard it and keep it under lock and key and they pass it down to their children and imagine the the disappointment that might have happened if your kids opened that box one day and thinking that they had something of precious value realized that they had gotten something from Claire's in the mall. They thought it was on par with Tiffany's but it was, it was from Claire's. You see, both of those stores reside in the same mall over in Green Hills, but their values are of completely different in their nature. And we live in a world that's a little bit like a mall, don't we? You can find things to satisfy you for a moment. You might go to the mall and, and just get something to eat, and it satisfies the craving for a moment, and that's okay. You, you might need something that will satisfy for a little longer than a moment. And so maybe you go to the mall and, and you go to Gap and you buy a shirt. Or maybe you want to go uptown and you go to Nordstrom's and buy your shirt. But ultimately, those things don't last. They don't have value. They, they, they don't make any difference. When we talk about the value of our faith, we're talking about a precious gift bought by the blood of Jesus on Calvary. And if he died on the cross and didn't rise, we have nothing. Nothing. Second, he says, if there's no resurrection from the dead, the apostles are liars. When Jesus was dying on the cross, the scripture records for us that only one of the apostles was present. It was John. Nobody else was there. They had all run away. They were scared. They were scattered. I think they were afraid the same fate awaited them. They thought they're, they're, they're going to do the same to us what they have done to Jesus but what we see as we read the book of Acts is that something that had been unthinkable a month and a half ago for the apostles had changed. Now they're going before the very people that had killed Jesus and they're looking at them and saying, you killed him, but he died for your sins and he has risen to life again. As they began to preach and teach this new movement called Christianity, they did so in the power of the resurrection. And they called everyone to believe in the resurrection. If you read the book of Acts, you see over and over again how Peter and John and Paul publicly urged men to repent and believe in the resurrected Savior. Look at verse 15. He says, Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. 
What he's saying is we gave you a bunch of false information about God and we're guilty before God if this is true. But this wasn't some myth that they were trying to promulgate. They didn't have an agenda to push. They had been changed by seeing the resurrected Savior. It had totally given them the courage that they had been lacking. You see, if if Jesus was a myth, there's no courage there. If the body had been stolen from the tomb, there's no way you go out and risk your life for that. If the body's still in the tomb, you don't go out and risk your neck for that. They had no power apart from the resurrection. It was the resurrection that was giving them hope that losing their own lives would not be the end. And if we preach anything but Christ risen from the dead, we have no power either. Is it any wonder that in the American church we're losing our power? We've lost it because we think that we can replace the power of the resurrection with humanitarian aid or good deeds. You have to understand, those things are powerless without the power of the resurrection. Coupled with the resurrection, humanitarian aid, as Baptists have been so good at doing throughout all of their history, going around the world, it's coupled with something that gives it power. Good deeds done with the power of the resurrection change lives. There's a third thing that he says. If there's no resurrection from the dead, then your faith is worthless. Look again at verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. This is a different word than what he used in verse 14 where he said our faith was in vain. There he said that it was uh, basically uh, something of no value. Here he says that our faith would be empty and in effect ineffectual. If your faith is ineffectual, the implication is you are still in your sins. Faith is not a feeling. It has to have an object. If Christ has not been raised, we've misplaced our faith in someone who could not do anything more than anyone else. I was talking to a group of students recently from our ESL program here, and I was answering some questions that they had about Christianity. They they were wanting to ask a few questions about what it meant to be a Christian, and I asked them if they could give me some of their observations about Christianity from their time spent in the United States and their time spent at Judson Baptist Church. I was really curious to hear what they would say. And what they said was, well, Christianity is different because the teachers of Christianity are just like us. They're just like us. And I was like, yeah, you got that spot on. And I thought, what a great, a great witness to our ESL teachers, right? That our ESL teachers identify with those people, that our pastors have identified with those people because we are just the same. We're, we're exactly just like them. And if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then he's a teacher just like me. That's all he is. If he's not raised from the dead, he's a teacher just like me, just like your life group teacher. He lived, he died, and just like everyone else. He may have taught a creed or a system, but see, my faith has an object and it's in a person. My faith is not in something that happened long ago only. My faith is in a living Savior. My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. You see, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, we're just following a religious system that has no meaning and no value. It's ineffectual to our lives. And we're still facing eternal damnation. Listen to how the book of Romans described the cross and the resurrection. In Romans 4.25, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised 
because of our justification. We have been justified because of his resurrection from the dead, and that means that we have been made right with God. All charges have been dropped because of the resurrection. When we need a defense, we claim the resurrected Savior's blood. We plead his righteousness, and that is our claim for faith. Finally, the apostle says, if there's no resurrection, everyone who has died and gone before us has perished, meaning they have not experienced eternal life. That means all the Old Testament saints who were waiting for the one who would rule over David's throne forever have died without eternal life. It means that all the great Christians who have lived in our generation have died with no hope of eternal life. And he sums up the entire thought with a verse that I think speaks to us this morning from verse 19. He says, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. One translation puts it like this. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. Many people waste their hope on things that don't last. They follow promises of change that ultimately fail, lacking the ability to change. And sadly, even Christians do this. They place all of their hope in a system or the next politician promising to change things and fix everything. I think this is why right now in our country so many people are losing their minds with politics. They're losing their minds. It's misplaced hope. There is not a president that will fix your life. There's no one that can do that. Only Jesus. When you think about it like that, Paul says that if our hope is misplaced in Christ, well, we're worse off than someone who thinks a program or a politician coming along has the answer. He says that above everyone, we should be pitied. Well, why would he say that? Well, let's just think about some of the practical implications. Think about all the money you have wasted tithing. You could have had a much better house could have taken a better vacation. You could have enjoyed your life a little bit more. Think about all the time you've wasted following the laws of God. You could have partied it up. You could have let your real inhibitions out. You could have let yourself run wild. This is all a waste, isn't it? But that's the issue for us. I mean, is it that we are to be pitied above most? Think, think about people who have gone overseas and given their lives to the cause of Christ. They have wasted them. They have died for nothing if Jesus is just a teacher. They should have stayed home, been well-fed, and kept safe and warm because it didn't pay off in the end. But Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. It wasn't his birth that started the movement. It wasn't his death that started the movement. People are born and die all the times. It was the fact that he rose from the dead. He had the power over death to rise again and defeat our enemy. In a moment on Easter, the resurrection changed everything forever. First of all, it changed the object of your faith. While everyone else has misplaced hope, you have hope in a risen Savior. There's no hope in a system or hope in a country or hope in an academic or hope in a medicine because all of those things ultimately can't stop what's coming. The thing that keeps us up late at night wondering what's on the other side of death. Nothing can stop that except knowing a Savior who died and rose again. We've placed our faith in the Lord. It's found a resting place. 
I've placed my faith in a rock that won't move. I've placed my faith in a God who never changes. I've placed my faith in a Christ who drank the cup for me that should have been mine and rose again once and for all, defeating death. Faith promises that on the other side of my death, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. But the resurrection also broke the chain of sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. When Jesus came out of the grave, guess what? You did too. You were no longer being held captive. You weren't being held hostage by sin. Those things fell apart. That means that you were changed eternally in that moment because of the resurrection. And as the perfect sacrifice, he laid down his life so that we could be free from sin. Church, don't ever forget. You've been freed from sin. Don't walk back to it. Don't return to it. He has set us free and we are free indeed. And finally, the resurrection allows us to live with a great anticipation about seeing those who have died again. Because I know the Savior, I serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will see them one day. Moses, Esther, Gideon, Rahab, and David will be there too. I'll be able to be with Peter, James, and John, the Apostle Paul. I'm going to see a couple of cousins that have gone ahead before me who had their faith in the promise of salvation. I'm going to see my grandfathers. Maybe they'll show me around heaven when I get there. One day I'll see my grandmothers and hug their neck because of the hope of the resurrection. Because all of those have died with their faith placed in Jesus Christ. And if there's no resurrection, we should be pitied and counted as fools above everything else. That would be true. But because of the resurrection, we should be the envy of the world. I want them to want what we have. I want them to know the power of the resurrection. I want the Holy Spirit to move in their lives in conviction so that they can understand that the resurrection changes everything so that people would think of themselves and us as being so lucky as to have been saved. We have a hope that won't disappoint and a God who knows us personally. And when you leave here this morning, I want the resurrection to change your life. The hope of the resurrection should give you peace and power and joy. It gave the apostles all of those things as they went from being scared to being able to share their faith. They stood in a culture that was trying to kill them and said it doesn't matter. We're going to stand and we're going to preach Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. Our eternity is secure this morning. And it's because of the resurrected Lord. It could be this morning that you're not sure about your salvation and maybe you even have some questions about whether or not you've ever been saved. Whether or not you've experienced the resurrected life in your Christ, of Christ in your life. And I, I want to just quickly, I, I can't let Easter go by and not tell you the gospel really simply. We say it like this to our kids around here all the time. If you can understand the ABCs, you can understand the gospel. A, you have to admit that you're a sinner. That's called confession. Confession is agreeing with God. Most people don't want to agree with God. That's the first step in becoming a Christ follower, being saved. Admit that you're a sinner. The Bible says that every one of us has a problem. It's sin. And that we've all done that. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the scripture says, be, believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and that God raised him from the dead. 
We're not talking about some mythical figure here. We're talking about God who became flesh, who died in your place, died on a cross and paid the cost for your life. You don't have to go to hell. No one does. Believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is God's son and that he is the Lord and was risen from the dead. And then see, commit your life to him. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And we call it an invitation because we believe that each time we come to this point in the service, God is offering us an invitation. The scripture says it like this, come, taste, and see the Lord, he is good. It's an invitation for us to come, and you have that opportunity this morning. And I would invite you to give your life to Christ this morning. I would invite you as a believer to place your hope, not on the things that you see around you, but on our living hope, Jesus Christ. And if you have never given your life to Christ this morning, you could, you could respond in a couple of ways. One is that you could come and meet me down here at the front. I'd be happy to pray with you, and I'll put you with someone this morning, right now, that will explain what it means to be a Christ follower, and they'll walk you through that. And I realize in a room like this, there's a lot of people, a lot going on, and maybe you don't feel comfortable doing that. But maybe you just take out your phone, and in a second there's going to be a number on the screen. And if you just text the word pastor to that number, this afternoon one of our pastors is going to call you. We'd love to talk with you about that. If you have questions, don't leave today wondering whether or not you've been saved. Don't leave today with any doubt. If you have any question about that, I'm begging you today. Let today be the day of salvation. We'll take all the time that we need to do that. There's no more important decision that you'll ever make in your life. You just text pastor to that number and somebody will be in touch with you today. I want to ask you to bow your heads. Lord Jesus, you are our living hope. And we believe and confess as your church that you have been raised from the dead. And our prayer today, Lord, is that as we proclaim your name, we would receive power and courage from your resurrection. But our prayer also today is that for anyone who would be lost this morning, they've never found salvation in Jesus Christ that they would respond today. Holy Spirit, move in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.